you haven't been here the last few weeks or if you're new today and here for the first time, first of all, welcome. Uh, but we've been walking through uh, stories in the book of Acts. So if you go to the New Testament, you have the Gospels, which tell us about the life and ministry of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. And then right after we get through the Gospels, the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we get to Acts. And Acts gives us all of the acts of the apostles or the acts of his early disciples, the acts of the early church. So we get to see what this first church, this early church, these new believers, these early followers of Jesus, we get to see not just what they were like, but what they did, what they valued, how they began to work. And more importantly, what I want us to see today is how God worked through them. So if you got your Bible, we're gonna be in Acts chapter eight today. Acts chapter eight, we're gonna, let me show you just a little context and then we're gonna jump into a, a specific story here. Acts chapter one, the end of verse one, we're told that the dynamics of this area, the area of Jerusalem where the church was started began to change. So in Acts chapter two, we looked at that last week where the church was born and we see that all of these believers were coming to faith. Over 3,000 people were added to their numbers and it was happening daily. So the church of Jerusalem was growing, but God had bigger plans. It wasn't just about this one church in this one place. God wanted to see the church grow and spread through the entire world. And notice what happens as things begin to change. Acts chapter eight, end of verse one, we're told a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. That doesn't sound like a great way for the church to start, does it? Here they are growing and more people are coming to know Jesus and, and the church itself in Jerusalem was becoming and very, very influential and impacting lives. And then a great persecution broke out and everybody was scattered except the apostles, except those that were originally with Jesus, everybody began to scatter. Now, from our perspective, that doesn't seem like a good thing. That seems like, oh no, the church is gonna die. The church is gonna fall apart. There's no way they're gonna survive this, but we know we serve a much greater God that can use anything for good. So look at what actually happens. Verse four, but the believers who were scattered, notice what they did. They preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. So the fact that there was a persecution actually helped spread the good news about Jesus. The fact that there was a persecution that broke out and caused all of these new Christians to go all around the surrounding areas is actually what helped the church spread. We serve a great God where we could look at something as terrible as persecution. And God says, yes, terrible, but watch me redeem it. Watch me do something with something so terrible, but it's gonna be used for something so good. And the church began to spread. And if you keep reading through Acts chapter eight, we actually get introduced, uh, again, we see him earlier on as well, but we get some, some details about the story of a man named Philip. He's one of those that gets scattered and he goes to surrounding areas, but everywhere that Philip goes, he tells people about Jesus. And before we get into a story of Philip, here's where I want us to land today. I'm going to start with it, and we're going to end with it. This prayer, I hope our hearts can get there, and I hope you can begin to think in this way. Here's the prayer I want going through your head and heart this morning. Lord, use me today where I am with what I have. That's what the people of the early church did. Wherever they were sent, wherever they scattered, wherever they ran to, wherever they were, they preached the good news about Jesus. 
And oftentimes we feel like we are supposed to wait for opportunities. Well, if I had a little bit more Bible knowledge, if I couldn't go to school first, I'll wait until this happens. I'll wait till I'm in this place and then God can use me. We tend to put things off. We're natural procrastinators. We naturally even disqualify ourselves at times. But what we see from the early church, especially with Philip, is like, no, 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 wherever I am today, I don't need to wait for tomorrow. I don't need to wait for something else to happen. I don't need, Philip would say, I don't need to wait for the persecution to end wherever I am today. And God, whatever you have given me, would you use me to advance your kingdom, to tell other people about Jesus and to impact the people around me? That's the prayer. Lord, use me today where I am with what I have. And let's see what he will do as he answers that prayer. Let me pray for us and then we'll dive into Philip's story. God, thank you so much for choosing to use us, for choosing to come alongside of us and, and work in us, but also work through us. God, my prayer this morning is that we would listen to you as you call us, as you prompt us, as you challenge us and even convict us through your word and through your Holy Spirit. Would we listen to you and hear how you want to use us today, where we are with what we have. Speak, Lord, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Think through your typical day. Today, you probably have already started some way in this. Uh, but if you think through it, we rely on a lot of different people for a lot of different things daily. And that could be on a very small scale, like in your family, the teamwork that you have within your family, how you work together as a family, as spouse, but also even with your kids. The dishes is a great example in our family. We say, well, no, 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 we're doing this together. Part of that's because Becky and I don't want to have to do it by ourselves. It's good for our kids, but we work together. So everybody kind of has a different job in this teamwork example of dishes. So Collins brings the food over. Connor begins to scrape it off. Cole will wipe down everything. Becky and I will look, no, I will load the dishwasher. She doesn't know how to load the dishwasher. I have to redo it. It's a fight in our house every single time, but she takes care of all the pots and pans. So like we work together on this, right? And you see that within the workplace, you go to work and it's not just you doing it all. It's you partnering with coworkers. It's you working together with other people in the organization. We see this within our community. It's all of us together, working together. We're partners together. We're teaming up together to accomplish something great, something greater than we could ever do on our own. And we see that in the early church, not just fellow Christians working together, but here's what's fascinating. We see that with our relationship with God too. He comes to us and yes, he saves us. He's our savior. He's our Lord, which means we serve him. But he also says, but I want to work with you. It isn't just God says, no, 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 no. I got this. You move out of the way. Let me take care of it. Yes, there are plenty of things that God can only do. And we must let God do what only he can do. But there's other moments where God says, I'm going to step in, but then I'm going to let you step up. And then God will take care of a piece of it. And he says, now it's your turn. And we see this incredible, what I almost call like a cosmic partnership between us and God, where he desires to work in you, but also through you. He wants to work with you on things. And we see that well in the story of Philip. So as we go through Philip's story, pay attention to that partnership, the things that God does, and then the things he lets Philip do. And then the thing that God steps back up and does, and then how Philip is able to step in. You see God and Philip working together. It's not just Philip. 
And it's not just God. God chooses to work in us, but also through us. So we're going to see one of his stories still in Acts chapter 8, but skip over to verse 26. As we go through the story, look for that partnership. Here's how it begins. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. So he had status. He had authority. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet of Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside, along beside the carriage. So Philip ran over, heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah, and then Philip asked a question. Do you understand what you are reading? Now, just in that early part of the story, do you see the partnership happening? It's God led Philip. He said, go south. So Philip said, why am I going south? No, he said, okay, I'll go south. And as he goes south and the Holy Spirit spoke to him and says, see that carriage over there? Just go stand next to it. So Philip said, okay, I'll go stand next to the, the, chariot, or the, the carriage and begin walking. And then he overhears what is actually happening. This man is reading out loud from the Old Testament. He's reading from Isaiah right here. He's reading from Isaiah. And then that's when Philip is able to step in. And all he does was ask a question. Do you understand what you're reading? Do you see the back and forth? God says, go south. And then Philip obeys. Then the Holy Spirit tells him, go stand next to that carriage. And then Philip obeys and then asks a question. So we see this incredible back and forth of God directing and leading through the Holy Spirit. But Philip has to obey. Philip has to listen. Philip has to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and then make the most of those opportunities. It wasn't just God told him everything. That's how we would love to operate. If I'm Philip and God tells me, Brian, go south. Why? How far? How long? What am I doing there? Do I need to take anything? What should I be looking for? Like we would have a hundred questions of why and what, and what are you doing? No, no. God says, nope, just start going south. He gives him one piece of the puzzle. He tells him to take one step and says, I'll tell you what to do a little bit later. So Philip is now going south without any context, minimal direction, and he started out. He said, this is what God told me to do. I'm not really sure why I'm walking south, but I'm supposed to be walking south. I guess he'll tell me when it's time. And sure enough, the Holy Spirit speaks and says, oh, you see that man over there? Go, stay, go, go walk next to him. Again, if I'm Philip, I'm thinking, who is he? Why? What am I supposed to be asking him? Am I supposed to do anything? Does he need help? Is, I'd have a hundred questions. Instead, Philip says, no problem. He goes and just walks next to the carriage. And now we don't see God give any more directions in this moment. It's almost as if God steps back and says, okay, Philip, here's your opportunity. And it's up to Philip to make the most of that opportunity. The partnership of God working in us, but also through us. As we go through Philip's story, instead of just telling you things about the story, I want to give you something to pray. Because if we're truly going to be led by the Spirit the way that Philip was in this story, I think turning these into prayers is going to be helpful for both of us, me and you. So here's the first prayer. Would you be willing to pray for God to direct you and to open your eyes to the opportunities in front of you? I know that's long. Let me break that up a little bit. First, you got to pray that God, would you direct me? I'm going to trust you. You're not going to give me the whole picture. You're not going to give me the 10 steps ahead. You're going to give me one step at a time. But God, would you direct me? I'm asking you to direct my life and I commit to following. 
But as you direct me, God, I also need you to open my eyes to the opportunity in front of me. Not just what might happen later on, but the one in front of me right here and right now. So God, would you direct me? Would you use your spirit and lead me, but help me to see the moments that are in front of me. Help me not to just walk by a man reading through Isaiah. Help me to stop and go slow enough to see the opportunities that you've put in front of me. Direct me and open my eyes. Now, before we go to this next part, uh, the Holy Spirit is mentioned many, many times, not just in this story, but throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New, very, very prominent in, in Acts as well. So let me say this. I don't have the time to go like deep into theolo the theology of the Trinity and the Holy Spirit, but let me just say a couple things, and I'm going to give you some homework. First of all, the Holy Spirit is not just like a feeling in your stomach. The Holy Spirit is not the force that you see in Star Wars. The Holy Spirit is God. It is, he is God. He is a person of God, the Trinity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, we always mention the Holy Spirit last. It's not because he's like the, the, the last one on the list. That's not the order of progression at all. The Holy Spirit is God's presence living in us and impacting and engaging us in the world around us. And the Holy Spirit has some very specific jobs, just like God the Father, as well as God the Son, God the Holy Spirit convicts us and directs us and leads us and comforts us. And the list goes on and on and on, but the Holy Spirit is not just that feeling in your stomach. The Holy Spirit is God. So let me give you just, if, if that's like, I don't understand any of that, or if you're interested or you want to know more, let me help you. So I'm giving you three things if you're interested in Googling. You have to Google these right ones or who knows where you're going to end up. If you Google the Bible Project God, it's going to take you to a video on YouTube. Same thing for the Bible Project, the Holy Spirit. Those are both YouTube videos. Uh, the first one's eight minutes. The other one's about four minutes. Very helpful in a very broad idea of here's who God is as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then a little bit more information and detail on the Holy Spirit himself. The last one, Knowing Faith, is a podcast. Again, if you Google specifically episode 157, if you want even more about the Trinity, then you can go back to like episodes 56 and 55, but 50, 157 speaks specifically to the Holy Spirit and how God Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit work together. It's fascinating. It's going to, you're not going to fully get it. And that's the whole point, right? God's bigger than our brains can handle. So you're not going to fully understand this, but it's going to give you a little bit more insight into who the Holy Spirit is and how he works. So if that's helpful, take a picture of it, Google those things. Um, I'm always available. If you want to talk more through that, man, let me know as you dig into your scriptures uh, on your own. But hopefully that's a little helpful. All right, back to the story of Philip, verse 31. So Philip runs up next to the carriage. He hears that he's reading out of Isaiah. He asks that one question, what, do you know what you're reading? Here's the man's response, verse 31. The man replied, well, how can I unless someone instructs me? That's a great point. He's reading this, but he has no idea what it means, so I need someone to explain it. And then he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture that he had been reading was this, quote, he was like a sheep led to the slaughter and as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth, end quote. Again, a quote out of Isaiah. Now we probably know this. Isaiah is not talking about himself. Isaiah is talking about the coming Messiah. He's talking about Jesus. The Ethiopian doesn't know that. Verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, who was the prophet talking about? Was he talking about himself 
or someone else. So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. What a beautiful picture of sharing the gospel with somebody. Here's a man that really didn't know what he was reading. And he's just, I don't know this. I don't understand this. So if you're somebody that's like, man, I really don't fully understand this whole Christian thing, you're in good company. It's okay to not fully get it. You're not gonna fully get it. I need somebody to walk me through this. That's why we do this together. And it's not just read your Bible on your own. Hope you figure it out. Like that's important. Yes, read your Bible on your own. But let's talk about it. It's why we do Bible studies. It's why we show up on Sundays. It's why we do this together because we need help understanding. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us the truth and open our eyes, but we need one another to speak into it as well. And then they had a conversation. I love that the Ethiopian said, come and sit with me. Come and have a conversation with me. You see, the Ethiopian and Philip had very little in common. They were about as different as you could possibly be. They were different ethnicities, races, religions, from different places, different vocations, different jobs, different socioeconomic. I mean, these were vastly different individuals, yet here we find them sitting next to one another, having a conversation about Jesus. I love that God is directing Philip to have a conversation and to sit with somebody that's not like him. It's, it's not a fellow Jew from Jerusalem that is scattered because of the persecution. No, God leads Philip to sit next to somebody and have a conversation with somebody that he had very little in common with. And it wasn't just a conversation, was it? It wasn't just Philip from the outside of the carriage preaching at the, the Ethiopian. No, he sat down with him. Something happens when you actually are willing to sit down with somebody, right? If you move yourself off of a stage, let me sit next to you, Craig. Is that okay for a second? How you doing? You know, <laughs> not every day that your pastor just, you know, plops down in the middle of a sermon next to you, is it? You don't have to answer that. That's probably never happened before. Probably won't happen again. It might not even happen at 11 o'clock if this doesn't go very well. <laughs> but you sit down next to somebody and all of a sudden the dynamic drastically changes. Some of you are very weirded out right now. Some of you are like, what's the point of this whole thing? But you're not Craig. I'm not next to you. I'm sitting next to Craig. And so Craig is probably, thank you, Craig. I appreciate that. I picked a good seat to sit next to. See, this isn't just preacher preaching and partitioner listening anymore, is it? No, now there's, there's conversation. There's proximity. There's relationship. And, and that changes everything when you're willing to sit next to somebody and begin to have a conversation instead of just always staying up on my high horse and let me just talk at you. Now you listen to me, be a good person and just listen while I talk. You have to be willing to sit down next to him. Thank you so much, Craig. I appreciate that. The rest of you are like, I'm never sitting in an aisle seat ever. <laughs> That's what he did. Now here's what that takes, especially in Philip's situation, right? Craig and I have a good relationship. It wasn't that hard for either of us to do that. But for Philip to sit down next to somebody that he had no idea who he was, that was just very different from him, no real context. I mean, that took a lot of two things, humility and courage. It takes humility to sit next to somebody that you don't have a lot in common with. It takes a lot of humility to sit down next to somebody that you might not even agree with. So let me phrase that as a prayer. Would you and I be willing to pray that God would keep us humble, but also give us courage? Both of those are required to sit down next to somebody that you don't have anything in common with. 
Humility to listen, but also courage to speak the truth. Philip does both of these brilliantly. He began with a question. Did you notice that? He didn't just jump into everything that this man had wrong theologically. He said, do you even understand what you're reading? And this man began to explain, no, I really don't. Would you come and sit with me? Would you explain it to me? So he began with the humility of asking a question. But he also had the courage to explain that last part. So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. He said, yes, I do know. And yes, I can explain. Let me help you understand. Humility, but also courage. There's another part to this as well that I don't want you to miss either. Not only was God and Philip having this partnership of working together, the Ethiopian did have a part to play. He also asked a question. He's the one that invited the conversation. Well, how can I unless somebody explains it to me? Would you please come and sit with me? Even at the very end, would you tell me who the prophet was talking about, himself or someone else? Like, I want to know. So kudos to the Ethiopian for asking questions as well. But again, as he asked the question, Philip was ready to give an answer. Let me read out of 1 Peter real quick. It'll put that in a little bit more context for us today. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Look at this next part. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, make sure they go to church and hear from Pastor Brian that Sunday. No. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you have the hope that you have? Why do you, why do you keep growing in your faith? Why do you have peace? Why do you have joy? Why do you have comfort? Explain to me why your life is different. Be ready to explain that. Verse 16, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if any people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. That's what Philip does well. He's ready to give an explanation, but he does it with humility. He does it with courage. He does it gently. He does it respectfully. We have to be willing to be ready to explain why we believe what we believe. So let me give you another prayer. This one is not going to be for everybody. I believe God answers our prayers. And so if you believe that God will answer your prayer, I believe he's going to answer this one. So if you're not there yet, if you're not ready to pray this next prayer, just sit on it for a little bit. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're ready to take a next step that you're going to see that partnership between you and God, here's a prayer for you. Pray that people would ask you about your faith. I dare you. <laughs> I double dog dare you. That you would say, God, I'm ready to tell somebody about the hope that I have. But have them ask me. And watch how different your week is going to be. You're going to wake up tomorrow nervous Maybe I should have given God a date. Like after Wednesday, have somebody ask me about my faith. Because you're gonna feel a little nervous. What if it's today? What if, what, who could it be? What if it's a stranger? What if I don't know them? What, what? You're gonna have a lot of nerves that go with it. But what if God answered that prayer? Are you ready to answer it? You don't have to be able to, to preach a 30-minute sermon. You say, Jesus is the Lord of my life. He saved me. And we can open scripture together and begin to walk through that, but... My life is different because I've given my life to Jesus. He's my Lord and he's my Savior. He forgave me from my sins. He died on the cross and rose three days later. Because of his resurrection, I now have the hope and the gift and the promise of eternal life. And it's not because of anything I've done. It's because of who he is. Something like that. And you're going to stumble all the way through it, and that's okay. 
So if you're ready for it, see God answer your prayer in a pretty amazing way. Have somebody ask it, just like the Ethiopian asked Philip. Philip was ready, so be ready. Next part, verse 36. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Because they've been talking about Jesus and what it means to follow him, and then one of the next steps is baptism, what publicly displays your, your following of Jesus. So he says, look, there's some water. Why can't I get baptized? So he ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down to the water, and Philip baptized him right then and right there. You never know what's going to come out of a conversation. You never know what God might be doing and how God might be working in you, but also, also through you. And let me give you just a little bit of history that about 300 years after this happens, Ethiopia as a country declares Christianity as its state country. It is the second country to do so. 300 years after this moment, they are one of the very first countries to fully embrace and follow Jesus. 300 years later. Is it possible that what God started through Philip and with this Ethiopian began to plant seeds in an entire country that changed the course of many people's lives? Now, yes, I have no doubt there's a lot more history to that, and there's a lot of other people that God would have used. Missionaries went into the area, had a huge impact, but did we see the beginning of it? God never explained to Philip, hey, I'm going to introduce you to this person because he has a lot of authority here, and in the next 300 years, you are going to change the entire country. No, he said, go south. Go stand next to that man. Ask a question. Sit with him. Tell him who Jesus is. You never know what God might be up to, and he might just be choosing to use you. So let's turn it into a prayer. Would you be willing to pray that God would work in you and through you to impact those around you? That God, you would work in me, like change my life so that it's evident for other people. Not that people say anything about me, but so I have an opportunity to share you. So work in me, change me. But God, I also want you to work through me. I want you to give me those opportunities. I want you to tell me to go south and stand next to a carriage. I, I want you to give me some opportunities so that I can impact the people around me. God, I want to be part of this partnership with you. I can't change lives. But God, as you work through me, I can point them back to you and I can tell them about you. So would you do that? Work in me, work through me so that people around me would be impacted. You never know what God might be up to as he uses you. Here's this last part, verse 39. Probably the coolest part of the story outside of like this man's eternal life change. This is a cool part. Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north in the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. Did you miss that? Did you see what just happened here? They bat Philip baptizes the Ethiopian. He comes up out of the water and we're told that the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. Like that's transported. Like he's no longer there, but he went somewhere else. You don't seem to understand. Like that doesn't happen, right? That's not normal. Now, if you dig in a little bit to the Greek, well, I mean, maybe snatched away just metaphorically, like sure. You know, I wasn't there, so I don't know. But if you look at the original language and context, the language used speaks to a supernatural exit and a supernatural appearing in another place. So it does look like truly 
God's spirit said, great job, you're done here. Let's go on to mission number two and literally just moves them over. Now you could get totally hung up on this whole move. Like did the spirit really transport him? Was there another explanation? You could totally get hung up on that. Here's what I want you to pay attention to other than it's just super cool that God can do whatever he wants. Here's the really great part. God wasn't done with Philip. This wasn't a, oh, well done, my faithful servant. You, you had the conversation I was hoping you would have. Now you're done. You can go into retirement. And he says, oh, no, you did that one? Here's the second one. I'm going to take you somewhere else, and you're going to do the exact same thing again. Philip continued to be led by God. He started the prayer all the way over again. Lord, would you use me today with what I have and where I am? He started it all over again. And God said, absolutely, let's go somewhere else. And I bet if we would be privileged enough to look into the rest of Philip's life, you're going to continue to see that again and again and again. And then the Spirit led him again. And then the Spirit led him again. You have no idea what God might be up to in you, but also through you. Like even you sitting here today, who knows the impact that you will make on the person sitting next to you, whether you know them or not. Who knows the impact that you could have on somebody when you walked in those doors this morning? I hope, if not, do it next time. You smiled at somebody. You said hi to somebody. You interacted with somebody. Who knows the impact that that could have on somebody? When I did student ministry years ago, I used to tell my student volunteers, hey, every student that walks in, they all need a smile and a hello from you. I said, because we don't know all of these kids' stories. It's very likely that a student could walk into church with us and the smile that you give them is the only smile they've gotten from an adult this week. That's possible in student ministry. That's possible here. Who knows the impact you could have just by saying, God, use me today. When you head to work tomorrow, God, use me today. Where I am with what I have, I don't know the meetings I'm gonna have. Maybe that budget meeting turns into a Jesus meeting. Who knows what happens when you sit in car line and you're dropping your kids off and you're picking them up? Who knows the impact that God could have on people around you through you? All because we said, God, here I am. Would you use me today where I am with what I have? You might be feeling like I don't have anything for God to use. All Philip had was a willingness. That's it and a basic understanding of who Jesus is. That's it. There's no money given here. There's no resources requested. It's willing. It's available. Lord, would you use me today, wherever I am, wherever I go, with whatever I have, work in me, work through me, to impact the people around me. Let me ask this question. Who do you relate to most in this story? All right, three main characters, Philip, the Ethiopian, and the Holy Spirit. Do you relate most to the Ethiopian or to Philip? If you relate most to the Ethiopian, you're probably somebody that is like, man, I, like I'm here today, but I still don't get all this. Like I'm still trying to wrap my head around Jesus and him being like Savior and Lord. Like why? And, and you might have some questions. You might have some doubts. You might have some, some history and background that is actually causing you a harder time to trust other people. You might've been hurt before. And this is just hard to reconcile. Like, I, I gotta love, but I have to surrender my life to him. Like, I don't know about that. You're asking a lot of questions. 
If you relate to the Ethiopian, can I implore you to keep asking questions? But would you ask questions like the Ethiopian? Ask questions, but dig into God's word on your own. Even if you don't fully understand it, get into God's word. I care more that you care about God's word than what I would ever say to you. So you dig into God's word and what is he saying? But yes, it's hard to understand at times. So come alongside somebody, invite somebody to sit down next to you. And I was reading through this and, and Pastor Brian told me to read this on my own, but I don't understand it. Would you be willing to invite somebody to sit next to you to help you understand it? Keep asking questions. Keep seeking for truth in God's word and from people around you. But at some point, yes, just like the Ethiopian, you have to make a decision. And I guarantee you the Ethiopian didn't say, oh, I totally get it all now. This makes total sense. He says, I just need to get baptized. I wanna give my life to Jesus and I'll figure the rest out later. Don't wait for all the answers to give your life to Jesus. If you relate more to Philip, then you're probably a believer that follows Jesus but your life has probably gotten maybe a little bit stagnant, just like I wake up, I do the same things. And yeah, there's some exciting things in life and there's difficult things in life and you're just walking through it. But I would hope that as believers like Philip, we wake up every single day with purpose, that we take every single step throughout our day on mission. God, how are you gonna use me today? This next meeting, what are you gonna give me an opportunity for? When I meet with these people, I wonder what they're gonna ask me. When I wake up this morning, I don't just have a family and a job and a community. No, God, I have a mission from you. And God, would you work in me and work through me to impact the people around me? I can't wait to see what you have for me today. And every day you wake up with excitement, some nerves and anticipation on what God might do through you that day. And you're gonna go to sleep exhausted, and you're going to wake up the next day full of excitement and nerves and anticipation because guess what he might do today? And you walk through life on mission and with a purpose that is straight from him because you have no idea what God might be doing in you and how God might be working through you to impact the people around you. You have no idea no idea. January 6, 1850, a 15-year-old boy was walking down the street. It was in the middle of a blizzard. And uh, as he kept walking through the street, he realized he needed to get inside. So he took a side street off the road to find shelter, and he ended up walking into this small little church. There's about 15 people in this church. He goes in to get out of the snow and out of the cold. And as he walks in, the preacher of this small little church in 1850 is preaching out of Isaiah, Isaiah 42, that speaks to our need for a savior, that we cannot save ourselves, but we need a savior. This 15-year-old boy sat and listened to this preacher give a message on the need for Jesus and salvation is found only in him. That 15-year-old boy walked out of that church saved. He gave his life to Jesus. In his autobiography, I wanna read to you what he said about that moment. Charles Spurgeon was the 15-year-old boy, and later he wrote about that day, and he said, quote, And as the snow fell on my road home from the little house of prayer, I thought every snowflake talked with me and told me of the pardon I had found, for I was white as snow because of the grace of God. 
Some of you, when I say the name Charles Spurgeon, some of you are like, oh, wow, I didn't know that was his story. Some of you are like, who is that? Should I know that? Charles Spurgeon grew up to be an incredible theologian, and a preacher, and a pastor. He impacted thousands of lives, not just through his pastoring and preaching, but through his writings and his works. I use a lot of his commentaries today to help me and prep and study and to learn from him. Who knows? Who could have thought that God would have used a snowy blizzard day on a Sunday to impact this 15-year-old boy's life? I know the name Charles Spurgeon very well. You know what I don't know? I do not know the name of the preacher that gave that message on Sunday, January 6th. I don't know the name of that church, but I know the impact that it had on that one boy that turned into a man that gave his life to Jesus and so many others were impacted by him. Who knows what God might be doing in you, but also what he might do through you. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for choosing to use us, for choosing to partner with us in the spreading of your gospel and the spreading of your kingdom. God, if anyone here this morning relates to the Ethiopian, asking questions, not really sure what it means to follow you, God, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would reveal truth to them, that you would open the eyes of their heart and that they would know the truth that's found in your word. I pray that you would put people around them to sit with them, to be able to have a conversation about you. I pray that their hearts would be softened and they would be open to giving their life to you. If anyone here relates more to Philip, I pray that they walk out of here today with a renewed sense of mission and purpose, that we don't just go through the motions of life. We're not just trying to get by and we're not just trying to do better. We are on a mission from you to tell other people about you. So God, give us those opportunities. Through your Holy Spirit, lead us and direct us one step at a time. Help us to see every person, every relationship, every environment, every meeting, every situation, every circumstance as an opportunity to tell people about you. And God, if we're bold enough, could we pray that people would begin to ask us why we're different and that people would ask us who you are in our lives. And may we be ready for a response because we're on a mission. We go home today on mission. We wake up tomorrow on mission to preach you in every situation. So Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, work in us, work through us to impact the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.